The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony's Ghost Light Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Jeff Counts, and I'm joined today by conductor and composer Justin Freer. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's so great to have you. That's not all you do. In fact, we want to talk to you about this other part of your professional life. You are the founder and president of CineConcerts. Tell us what CineConcerts does. When did it start? What, what's it about? Well, it's, I guess it's been now uh, just right between four and five years since we launched. And, you know, the, the goal from the beginning, as it is now for the most part, is to really preserve and present some of the greatest music and film in our, in our genre and our craft and present it in a way that um, is unique to the entire score being played live by an orchestra synchronized to the entire film. So, you know, it, it's a little ironic that here we are nearly 90 years or more in some cases, depending on what, uh, what kind of uh, version of film, you know, French or American, um, as far as the silent film era, as far away as we are from it. And now all of a sudden, we are doing what they did nearly a century ago, um, kind of full circle. That is interesting. Yeah, I mean, with a 90-piece orchestra, certainly is <laughs> a lot different than yeah. than a live organ or a chamber quintet, you know, playing in a movie theater. But but the spirit is still the same, and the goal is still the same. So uh, it's it's great fun. So we're very we're very very happy to be a part of this of this blossoming genre. You've got a few films that you offer on, in your roster from, from the CineConcerts team, and I'm sure for you and for everyone that has had the great foresight to book them, the Harry Potter movies have probably been the biggest successes, I would imagine. So, I mean, have you been surprised by how enthusiastic and committed the fans of that franchise still are after all this time that you can find a new way to excite them like this? It's really incredible. It, it is very much... Um, a surprise every time I go out and I have a very high expectation for the fans as I think we all do that love Harry Potter sure. because we we know how popular Harry Potter is we know how loyal the fans are which is it is a significant level of loyalty but even knowing that it still surprises me uh, with with each concert that we do with each you know fan or parent or kid that I have an opportunity to speak with either before and after concert it, it's a me everywhere we go and it's, it's a wonderful surprise and you know one of the things that I've been able to really embrace very much so with the Harry Potter franchise thus far um, is is now the ability um, to just kind of enthrall yourself and ourselves on stage in the joy of a child's laughter in the audience and you don't have that mm -hmm. with every movie mm -hmm. you know you don't have that with a godfather you certainly don't have that with a gladiator right you know and it's a real beautiful thing to hear from the podium you know, hearing these children laugh but it's 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 amazing. It never fails. The the loyalty of Harry Potter everywhere we take it. These live concerts come with a, a beautiful response. So I hope that at the end of the day, you know, we're inspiring people. Your observations bring me to something that I mentioned in a previous interview. We had Justin Hurwitz, the composer of La La Land score, on the show recently. Another Justin. Sure, I, I know Justin. I know I know him. Yeah. Great guy. He was a great interview. And one yeah. of the things we talked about is the live aspect of the music makes it feel to the audience like the film itself is also live. I see the audience reacting to things on screen in a way that they never do in a traditional movie house. They react in real time. Yeah. I mean, well, I think the most primary, of course, is that the music is finally giving life into the film in a visceral, tangible way. And, and acoustically, that's not something that 
your body can ever be tricked into, you know, thinking something else of. You know, you will you will always know the difference between recorded and live music. Always. The, sure. the, the visual nature of that also just adds to the heightening of the experience. So I think there's certainly that, which is the most primary of all the variables, that now all of a sudden there's this living, breathing, organic thing happening on stage which you don't have and it does bring life to the picture in a way that no other um you know environment will for this type of thing but beyond that what's really happening is not just the live acoustics what's really happening is that we're transporting one of the most primarily emotionally important parts of the film and putting it on stage in a live visceral way and without music and film we lose so much of the emotional content we lose the ups and downs the anger the, the bitterness, the, the hatred, the, the beauty, the tragedy, you know, the, the laughter, the fun, you know, all these things that come with, a, if a composer does his job well, tracing the emotional elements that you cannot see by eye, then all of a sudden you have that on stage in a live way. But one of the other things that I think is worth mentioning is this very, very unique component, which is now all of a sudden you're able to watch these movies and enjoy these music scores with, in some cases, thousands of other people. And so it becomes right. a very communal experience, which you don't have any other way. So, I mean, I can tell you people that have seen many of the movies that we've um, you know, produced and presented this way, they've seen them dozens of times. In, in one case, the, a, a wonderful woman I met in San Francisco, her hundredth viewing of The Godfather was with this live version of The Godfather with score and film with the San Francisco Symphony. Mm -hmm. They will react to scenes that they've seen dozens of times differently when they're viewing it with hundreds or thousands of other people. So it becomes a social experience that's very unique to these events, and it's very, very cool. I experienced the same thing when you were here doing Harry Potter with us yeah. last season. Yeah. People basically cheered for every character the first time they were on screen. They cheered for the characters the second time they were on screen. <laughs> it was almost as if they were coming out for bows. I mean, it was just unbelievable. I, I think that... Without music and film, it becomes a very, very naked, very uh, devoid of emotion experience. And, and that's not what we are built as humans to experience. You know, we generally view our lives through our various different senses, but our ability to feel emotion, music only helps to cement that. And with film, you know, one of my most admired heroes who just happened to, I was very lucky to have a, you know, a number of years with him before he passed away, Jerry Goldsmith, he, yeah. for me at least, Chief among everybody that I admire, which there are a lot of composers that fall into that category, but Jerry was so, such an ardent supporter, a staunch in every way, shape, and form, that music's job is to provide what you cannot see and what you cannot feel emotionally without it. So, you know, mm -hmm. he would, I mean, he was so famous for so many different types of scores, you know, whether or not it was The Omen or it was Air Force One or Chinatown or Papillon or Tor Tor Tora or Planet of the Apes. But one of the things that he'd always carry with him to the very end of his life was he would always cherish and relish the opportunity to write music for those stories that had an incredibly easy-to-connect-to emotional core. And those were the ones that he fell in love with. And, you know, his favorite score, as it turns out, was Islands in the Stream, you know, that, that beautiful um, film version of the, the novel of the same name by Ernest Hemingway, which, of course, Franklin Schaeffer directed. Right. And it was one of the things that John Williams does so incredibly well. And one of the things that I, I, I love every time with Harry Potter is the ability to fall in love with the, the adventure, the mystery, the story of these children experiencing Hogwarts. 
and that doesn't exist in many ways without the music of John Williams. So it's very important. Absolutely. Let's let's talk a little bit about logistics, nuts and bolts, because I think people would be interested to know how the synchronization happens. Is it something that's mostly up to you and your fellow conductors, or does the orchestra have a role to play? Are they are they on click track, or are they following other extra musical cues? How does it all connect? Well, I, I, certainly the orchestra has a very significant role to play. It's you know I, I kind of view it as almost <laughs> a minor miracle if we're all together where we need to be by the end of the picture <laughs> right you know there's so many things that go into these and um i, I know a lot of uh, uh conductors and or orchestras or projects in general they have a tendency to use a click track which um certainly helps to keep things together uh, for me mm-hmm. I, I think that that has a tendency to, to make the music feel a bit more robotic you know it's interesting when you do it without click track and if you are 100 percent accurate and you do it with click track and you have the same accuracy the organic approach to playing music without a click track it feels very different it sounds very different because as musicians we don't train to click track you know we we know we arguably train with a metronome you know when we're practicing mm-hmm. you know eight, eight to twelve hours a day in the young parts of our career but you don't play to a metronome with an ensemble. When you start breathing music right. with your colleagues, you don't play with a metronome. So this, this sense of breathing, there's an idea, there's, there's a thought, there is an actual breathing process going on with an orchestra that is unique to an orchestra. You know, we, we as musicians on stage breathe a very unique way. And without the click track, it allows us to do that. So I have a tendency to do everything that we do without click track, which I find much more attractive, as I, I think perhaps the musicians do as well, for many of the reasons that I'm kind of listing as far as what we've been trained to do and how we, how we live our lives through our instruments. The synchronization is just is arguably more difficult to achieve without click because then all of a sudden it is entirely incumbent upon the stick or the baton to make sure that everything is accurate. So it, it's a beautiful adventure on stage. It comes with great fun. And the amount of tempo changes that exist in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is absolutely significant. So there is such a challenge to be had every time we take this out. I can tell you, Justin, at least from the perspective of the Utah Symphony, that the musicians definitely appreciate not being on click track for all <laughs> the reasons you just said. I think you're right. It sounds a little stiff. It sounds a little unspontaneous. And I I know that they appreciate you doing the lion's share of the synchronization work up there from the podium. It's good fun. It's good fun for everybody, you know. Yeah. And I think that yeah. if there's that added challenge, uh, in my eyes, it only makes it even more fun because then, then um, yeah. you know, you you really are on your toes. And and even without, you know, the film, John Williams keeps us all on our toes. I mean, his music is is always um, so incredibly complex. Even if the music sounds simple, his music is always complex. You know, in that he's He's always paying attention to you know, the, the highest level of orchestration and excellence. And his, his thematic material, his harmonic material, his rhythmic material, it always keeps us interested. In, and that's very unique. Not, not many composers can say that. I'm sure it's especially exciting for you to be on the podium with music like John Williams in terms of quality. Being a composer yourself, I'm sure that just adds an extra layer of you know, excitement for you. I'm curious, though, what's next for cine concerts, I'm sure you've got plans to expand the roster of films you're offering. And that leads me to another question. How difficult is it to take one of these ideas and build a project around it? What's it like to put these together from the ground up? 
I, I think it comes with a lot of different variables. You know, I have to be in love with the music, and I love being in love with it. You know, it's it, it makes it much more enjoyable for me from the very beginning, building these out. And you know, I think that we have a we're in a bit of a position of luxury. Um, we are seeing things through in every aspect from the very beginning to the very end. And I don't there's not many people perhaps doing that. You know, where the orchestrations and going into the archives and touching the music scores with your hands and rebuilding all the videos all really kind of happens in house. So we have a, mm -hmm. uh, just a beautiful opportunity to feel like we have, you know, 12 hours a day of these kid in the candy store moments as we build these projects. So certainly the Harry Potters are upcoming, you know, it's the Harry Potter film concert series. Right. So, you know, we have the whole, the whole franchise to celebrate, which is very, very exciting. Absolutely. Oh, it's so exciting. I mean, what a beautiful franchise. Uh, we do have, a lot of other things upcoming, which we haven't yet announced, so I'll kind of keep a little bit of you know this shrouded in mystery, but sure. we have a lot that we're about to add to the roster, which we're very excited about and so happy to be a part of it. And I, I hope that the proliferation of this genre allows audiences more and more around the world to immerse themselves in some of the greatest music in our craft, and not just film, but music in general. I mean, you know, some of the greatest music in our history happens to have been written for film. So it's it's great to just be able to celebrate it like that. I could not agree more. I'm just thrilled that CineConcerts is growing, that you've got new stuff on the horizon, even if you're not willing to give us a sneak peek of what they are. <laughs> I'm just glad to hear that it's happening. I've got one more question to ask you, and it's probably going to seem an odd one to you, but it's based on the name of our show, The Ghost Light Podcast. And we ask everyone this question. And the question is, it's just for fun, so don't take it too seriously. But I want to know, Justin Freer, if you have ever seen a ghost, either in a theater or anywhere else. Give us some details, please. Oh, boy. That is that is a fun question. You know, one of my favorite cities in the world to visit is New Orleans, Louisiana. And, mm -hmm. you know, we all, we all know that with that city comes a very interesting history of spiritual connection. For sure. My, my first trip to New Orleans, I was, gosh, uh, I think I was maybe 21 years old, I believe. We took a, a fun road trip all the way from Los Angeles to New Orleans during our holiday break uh, when I was at UCLA with some friends and colleagues. Drove all the way out, had a wonderful time. I just happened to be there during the New Orleans Bowl, you know, during the college football season, which we had <laughs> no idea we were, we, we were there the same week. It was good fun. But I, I, I do remember that we, we visited this a wonderful little mansion that was turned into um, now a really well-known uh, kind of bar that does mint juleps and all these other fun southern southern cocktails. And there was there was a um, a very thick history of of spiritual connection there. And you know you never really you never really know how much of this is 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 real or is your imagination or it's you know it's your your spirit hoping that it's real. I, I don't know. But there was there were there were some spooky elements that night as we were. Um, perhaps more inebriated than we should have been, but it was, it was, it was good fun. But New Orleans has such a beautiful history of that, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. I mean, if there could be America's ghost city, it probably would be New Orleans. I think you're right about yeah. that. Well, I hope the next time you're there, given the interest of the Ghostlight podcast fans, you'll take a camera and maybe have some real provable experiences there for us. Oh, you know, if, if I could uh, make my side career, you know, with a proton pack on my back going around, you know, <laughs> you, you know, like, yeah, all of our favorite characters from the Ghostbusters, I would. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Justin, <laughs> it's been a real pleasure talking with you today about cine concerts and Harry Potter and everything that's going on with you. And thank you so much for being a guest on the Ghostlight Podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it as well. Take care. 
The Ghost Light Podcast is produced and edited by Chad Call. Utah Symphony Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.